Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. As we continue to look at what Paul has to say to wives and husbands. In particular in the church in general. Last week we really only considered the first two words of verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives submit. And today we aim to flesh out uh, what follows this command as we look at verses 22 through 24 more fully. Well, let us read these verses together. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let us pray briefly together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to your word once again, Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, hearts to receive it and understand it, Lord, teach us, instruct us in your ways that we may follow you, that we may submit to you, that we may glorify you. We ask, Lord, that you would give us richly of your spirit to that end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I have a question for you married couples. Have you ever been asked... Who wears the pants in your marriage? Now, what is meant by such a question, who wears the pants? Well, the question is simply this. Who has the authority or who is the authority in the relationship? Or as the imagery entails, who plays the part of the man? The pants, of course, being the attire of men contrasted with skirts or dresses. Uh, being uh, the attire most often associated with women. And so the phrase itself uh, is simply asking, who plays the part of the man? Well, this has become quite uh, popular terminology today and is often spoken about with some humor, of course. Uh, But passages like the one we just read in Ephesians 5 remind us of how crucial and vitally important it is to take our cues in life in general and for marriage in particular from the Word of God and not from the mere words or ideas of mere men or women. Just so you know what I'm talking about, here's a small sampling uh, from one author uh, who has given some thought uh, to this a phrase of the wearing of the pants. And this is what she says. Uh, the term originates with men, of course, when historically men wore pants and women were always in dresses or skirts. Since these times, however, women have gained confidence, independence, and financial security apart from their male counterparts. In this case, the woman can become the reigning partner in a relationship. And therefore, wear the pants. 
Well, as Christians, whenever we read something that is not in the Bible, we have to always ask the question, is this true? Well, it is the case that a woman can become the reigning partner. It is the case that it does oftentimes happen. It is the case that oftentimes women do wear the pants in a relationship. But the question we must always ask is, ought it to be so? Should a woman be the reigning partner? Should the wife wear the pants in the marriage relationship? Or to borrow some of the words from the author I just read, when a woman is confident, when a woman is competently independent, when a woman attains some measure of financial security apart from her male counterpart, does it mean that she ought to become the reigning partner in a marital relationship? In other words, does a woman's confidence level, earning potential, or actual earnings entitle her to be the reigning partner in the marriage? Well, only if the Holy Spirit and Paul play the jokes on us like we did to others like when I was a kid, saying things like, today's opposite day. Whatever I say, it actually means the opposite. Does the Bible ever do that with us? No, it doesn't. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, is speaking very clearly in the text that we have before us today. There's no confusion. Uh, there's no opposite day when it comes to Paul when he wrote Scripture. Everything he said uh, through the Holy Spirit, he meant. And he meant it uh, in truthfulness and seriousness. And so in the passage that we just read today, we have serious and sobering words from the Word of God, not words from mere men or women trying to get the edge or the advantage in the power struggle of relationships. And what is the Word of God then saying to us today with crystal clarity? Well, to use popular language, uh, the husband nor the wife are to be cross-dressers. The husband wears the pants. Metaphorically speaking, the husband ought to wear the pants. Or to use more dignified language that captures what we're going to unpack today. The scriptures clearly teach us that wives, you are to submit to your own husbands because it is your devotional and delightful duty by divine design. Wives, you are to submit to your own husbands because it is your devotional and delightful duty by divine design. The Princeton theologian Charles Hodge gives us three useful categories to organize this text, and I'm going to use the categories that he offers. And he gives us three categories, and we're going to cover these three this morning. Uh, verse 22 he tells us, uh, teaches the nature of submission. So we're going to consider the nature of submission there in verse 22. We'll then go on to consider the ground of submission in verse 23. And then in verse 24, we'll consider the extent, the extent of a wife's submission to her husband. The nature, the ground, and the extent well, let us then first consider the nature 
of submission. One of the things that we noticed right away, and it's been mentioned before, is that the nature of this submission of a wife to a husband is simply that, of a wife to a husband. It is directional. Submission is directional. And as we will see uh, further in the rest of chapter 5, it's remarkable what we will not see as well. We will never see a command in Paul's discourse here uh, for a husband to submit to a wife. That is completely absent from Scripture. We only see the command of wives to submit to their husbands. And so this is a one-way street. Submission is directional. Now that doesn't mean the husband's role and responsibility is excluded or he gets a pass when it comes to God's will for the marital relationship. We'll see that the Holy Spirit is actually going to give the bulk of his time and attention to husbands. Uh, In my Bible, on the very next page, we'll see more verses uh, unpacking the role and responsibility of a husband. But for now, Paul is leading with the role and responsibility of a wife. And it is summarized in this command, wives, submit to your own husbands. And your husband is never commanded as we will take up what the Holy Spirit says to husbands, the husband is never commanded to submit to his wife. Now we'll further nuance that in weeks to come, uh, but that is uh, the, the simple and clear point in what Paul is leading off with. Well, let's look then further at this submission that is directional. It's not only directional, but it's also limited It is a wife to her own husband. A very important three-letter word there, own. In other words, this is not a blanket subjugation of all women to all men, but the submission of each wife to her own husband. And so wives are not called to submit in general to men or to submit in general to husbands. Uh, You're called to submit to your own husband. In terms of your personal, earthly relationships, you have a singular allegiance to your own husband. Other husbands of other wives do not have the proper authority to tell you uh, in what ways you ought to submit just by virtue of them being husbands. Yes, you can learn from other married couples. Uh, Yes, you can continue to listen to your parents. Yes, you can continue to talk with your girlfriends. Uh, Yes, you can do all these things. But at the end of the day, your ultimate authority in terms of personal, earthly relationships is your own husband. Even your dad no longer has this role anymore. When uh, we witness a marriage ceremony, Uh, There's often that question, right? Uh, Who presents uh, this woman to be married? And uh, it's usually the father who will say, uh, her mother and I. And and, and it's a giving away of the daughter to come under a new headship. So the ultimate authority in terms of personal earthly relationships is the husband of his wife. Now, with that being said, uh, I want to uh, 
speak to the women directly here who will one day be seeking marriage. Uh, There are two important questions that you need to ask uh, as you seek marriage. Uh, The first question is simply this. Am I ready to submit to a man because of his God-given role and my God-given responsibility? Am I ready to submit to a man because of his God-given role and my God-given responsibility? In other words, it's a question of your own personal sanctification. It's a question of your own heart. Is your own heart submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the Lord says that your role is one of submission. And the second important question then you need to ask and answer is this. Will I be eager to submit to this particular man because of who this man is? If your God-given role and responsibility is to submit to your own husband, you must take a close look at that potential husband. And ask yourself, do I trust the wisdom and the character, the integrity, the direction of this man? Since I must submit to him, who does he submit to? In other words, you have to ask, can I submit to his ultimate authority? Of course, what I'm talking about is if you are a Christian woman seeking marriage... You must make sure that the man that you are looking at for marriage is one who submits to Christ himself. If you are to submit to your husbands, the worst thing you could do is to submit to a man who will not submit to Christ. That is the formula or the equation for untold misery and pain and suffering. And so as a Christian woman seeking marriage, seek a Christian man who is constantly seeking to submit himself to the Lord in every area of life. In fact, this will save you from so much unnecessary confusion, difficulty, stress, and pain. You must submit to him, and the more Christ-like he is, the more sweet your submission will be as a godly woman. But not only is submission directional and limited uh, to one's own husband, uh, submission is also devotional. It's an act of worship as a living sacrifice, as you are called to do all of life uh, in service to the Lord your God. I'll flesh out a little bit more what it means to submit as to the Lord. Uh, We'll deal with that under the extent as well as the ground. Uh, But for here, in terms of submission being devotional, I just want to say this, that an eye must always be kept uh, to Christ as you submit to your husband. It is, in fact, Christ's will that you are to submit to your husband. In other words, it is either then an act of devotion or an act of worship to Christ, Or it is an act of rebellion to Christ. When a wife fails to submit to her husband, she's not just rebelling against her husband. She's ultimately rebelling against the Lord. Sproul puts it this way. 
speaking of a woman's submission, this is a service and an act of worship that the woman gives to the Lord himself. It is the Lord's will that the wife be submissive to her husband, and if she wants to honor Christ, then one of the concrete ways she does this is by being in submission to her husband. If a woman is contentious and refuses to follow the leadership of her husband, she is in rebellion, not simply against him, but also against Christ. The point then is this, that wives, if you love Jesus, if you are devoted to Christ, it is not your duty to try to get the Lord Jesus Christ to submit to you, nor is it your duty to try to get your husbands to submit to you. It is your duty to hear the word of Christ, to heed the word of Christ, and to joyfully live it out to him as Lord. So that is the nature of submission. It is directional and devotional by design. It is limited uh, to your own husband. Uh, But what about the ground of submission as we move into verse uh, 23? Uh, The ground of submission, is it really set on a solid rock or is it set on something like shifting sand? What is the ground of submission? Well, here we have verse 23, Paul says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Here we have a further explanation as to why a wife is to submit to her own husband. In case there happened to be a wife out there who asked uh, that question that probably many wives would have been thinking, even in uh, Ephesus, why? Why must we submit to our husbands? Well, Paul gives the answer. And it's interesting uh, in how he begins his answer. He makes this simple assertion that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, we've seen this language already in the letter, and its first occurrence is back in chapter 1. So, flip back with me and see for yourselves what the what Paul means by headship. He places the ground of a wife's submission to her husband first in the fact that the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. Let's understand what headship means then, according to Paul. And we see there in verse 22 of chapter 1. And he, that is God the Father, put all things under his, that is Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Head over all things to the church. And then we back up and we look at what this headship entails. We see it explained for us in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. In other words, headship entails authority. 
headship entails dominion. The husband has the primary authority of the relationship as head. And this headship then is held in parallel to Christ's own headship over the church. Christ is head over all things to the church. And as Paul reaffirms here, Christ is head of the church itself. Not ought to be, or if you choose to have it that way, or if you prefer it that way. But Paul is simply asserting the fact of the matter. The husband is the head. In parallel to the fact that Christ is the head of the church. Wife, whether you have acknowledged the reality or not, your husband is your authoritative head, even as Christ is the authoritative head over the church. The general biblical rule, then, that we begin to see emerge here uh, in these verses is that the husband is first and foremost going to be held accountable for his loving leadership as head, and the wife... It's going to be held accountable for her submissive followership. Those are the things that each in the couple will be accountable for. And so wives, if your husband must answer the male for the leadership of the relationship, you must answer the male for the followership of the relationship. But Paul also goes on to say that Christ is the head of the church, his body. Okay, so we have a a more imagery here to consider in the ground of submission. And we're going to unpack further what Paul means as he brings this image of the body into view here. He'll unpack it for us uh, when he's addressing the husband. Um, But simply to say this, uh, to, to preview for you, Uh, What Paul's going to say on the body is that he refers to the body in this light. That no man hates his own body or hates his own flesh, but cherishes it and nourishes it. He wants to feed it. He wants to give it proper sleep. He wants to give it proper exercise. He doesn't want to make his own body suffer. He wants to do things that make him feel good, that are good, that give him long life and health. And so this imagery of the body, this reality or this metaphor of his body reminds us uh, that submission on the part of the wife is for her good. It is to be the object of cherishing. It is to be the object of nourishment. And that submission by divine design then is for the good of the body. Just as Christ's headship over his body is for the good of his body. When can you ever think of Christ's headship over his body being bad or detrimental to the health of the body? And so we'll get into the husband's roles, but for now, wives, you as the body and being likened to the body, you are the object of cherishing and nourishment. It is for your good to submit to your head to that end. One more relational dynamic is brought into view after body 
we see here that Paul says, and is himself its Savior. Christ is the Savior of his church. Christ is the Savior of his body. Now, Paul isn't saying that the husband is the Savior of his wife. Wives, you must look to Christ alone uh, as your Savior. But there are at least two important implications I want to point out from what Paul is saying here in this context. And the first is this. Since Christ is the Savior of the church, the church, we know, is not to be slack in her duty of submitting to him. Since Christ is the Savior of the church, the church is not to be slack in her submission to him. We can think back to the great salvation event of the Old Testament. When the Lord God saved his people out of Egypt, what did he do? He then gave them his laws and his commandments to submit to as a saved people. And they were to be diligent in their keeping of his commandments. They were to be diligent in being holy as God himself is holy. And so Paul adds in this language of Christ not only being the head, but also being the Savior to remind us of the duty that we owe to the Savior. And so duty implies that submission is to be something uh, that we ought to be diligent in. But not only that, the second implication is that since Christ is the Savior of the church, the church ought not to have any shortage in her delight while submitting. So the first one was duty. The second one is delight. Having the Lord your God as your Savior always implied delight. Having a Savior is always a cause for rejoicing. I'll just give you one instance. The Psalms are full of these, but one instance from Psalm 35, 9. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, and it shall rejoice in His salvation. So Paul is bringing into view here not only the duty the church owes to its Savior, but the delight, the joy that the church has in light of receiving such a great salvation in submitting to her Savior. And so, wives, submission is your duty, but it is also to be your delight. And when you struggle to submit to your husband with delight, check to see where you are trying to draw your joy from. As delightful as your husband is, or he may not be, uh, you will never find sufficient reason to joyfully submit to him if you're trying to seek all your joy from him. In other words, if you're trying to always justify your submission by the amount of joy your husband brings you, it'll never be enough. You will never find submitting to be a delight if you constantly fix your eyes on the performance of your husband. In fact, if you fix them on the failings of your husband, it will never be a delight. And so Paul, in reminding us that Christ is the Savior, he's reminding wives as well to fix your eyes on the fullness of the Savior. 
draw joy from the well of salvation as you submit to your husbands. Draw joy from Christ as your Savior. You find yourself short on fuel for submitting to your husband with delight. Fuel that delightful duty by drawing joy from the inexhaustible well of the Savior. When you do, your delight and submission won't ride the roller coaster of your husband's performance, but it will be tethered to the constancy and the consistency of the Savior. It'll be tethered to a steadfast love that your Savior has loved you with from before the foundation of the world and will continue. And so tether your joy, tether your delight in submitting to your husband to the Savior. We see clearly then that submission on the part of the wife is not grounded in some cultural construction arising from a patriarchal culture. It is the construction of God in creation that becomes even more heightened in salvation. A wife's submission to her husband is parallel to the pattern of the church's submission to her authoritative head, as well as her nourishing and cherishing Savior, Jesus Christ. A wife's temporal, earthly submission is the proper ordering and functioning that parallels the eternal and the everlasting marriage of Christ and his bride. Submission is an eternal reality based upon the fact that we will eternally submit, sinlessly submit to our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the command of wives to submit to your husbands is grounded off of this eternal reality. Well, there's the ground for the wife's submission. Let's thirdly consider the extent of this submission. Simply put, we could summarize the extent with one word. Wives are to submit in everything. Everything, as Paul says here in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But I do want to give a quote from Charles Hodge once again, which will help us begin to nuance this everything. She is to be subject in everything. That is, the subjection is not limited to any one sphere or department of social life, but extends to all. The wife is not subject in some things and independent in others, but she is subject in everything. It extends over all departments, but is limited in all by the higher authority of God. So as we hear this word everything, it is not an absolute everything. Uh, Charles Hodge reminds us that the authority of God is never to be surpassed by the authority of any husband. Uh, The authority of God is not to be usurped by the authority of any husband. And we see this in places like Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Not in terms of a marital relationship, uh, but in the more general and broader context of human authority and divine authority. When the disciples were told in Acts chapter 5 to be silent, 
they were to no longer speak in the name of Jesus Christ. They were no longer essentially to carry on the Great Commission. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And so wives, likewise, you must obey God rather than men if the two are ever in conflict. Wives, you must obey God rather than your husband if the two are ever in conflict. Hodge goes on to say, No superior, whether master, parent, husband, or magistrate, can make it obligatory on us either to do what God forbids or not do what God commands. In other words, you are not free to engage in sin, sins of commission or sins of omission, committing a sinful act or omitting to do a positive command God has commanded you to do based off of your husband's authority. Wives, whenever your husbands are wrong, biblically speaking, that does not give you a free pass to disobedience. Now I say that, and there are massive implications in that statement, because what that means is that there is so much dignity placed on a follower, on one who submits, that you actually must know what God's will is. The fact that you must submit to God's higher authority when your husband contradicts it means that you are to be educated in the things of the Lord. That you are to know God's will for your life. That you are to know the scriptures front to back. That's why the church, especially the Protestant church, has always prized women's literacy. It's why it's sought to translate the scriptures into the vulgar tongue of the people. Not only so men could read it, but so that wives could read it and know how to submit in the Lord to their husbands. Far from denigrating women, the scriptures always empower them and give them dignity uh, to know God and to know his will for their lives. I want to give you three categories as we consider the extent here, uh, three categories I think will be helpful for you wives to navigate your submission. Uh, the first category is biblical, uh, that you must submit to any command of your husband that is biblical. Okay, I think that's easy to understand. If your husband says, all right, honey, oh, it's time to go to church. It's the Lord's Day. That's a biblical command. You're going to keep the Lord's Day. You're going to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Okay. Uh, you must disobey an unbiblical command. That's the second category, unbiblical. If your husband calls you to submit to him by giving you an unbiblical command like this, honey, we're a little bit low uh, this month. Uh, we're not going to be able to pay rent or the utilities or make the car payment. Here's a ski mask, and we're going down to the local RBC, and we're going to get some extra funds to make ends meet uh, this month. No, that's stealing. You must disobey an unbiblical command. And here's the third category. Probably not so easy. Non-biblical. What about in the realm of non-biblical? Well, I want to come at this uh, in a roundabout way. 
Think for a moment about children and parents. Uh, A curfew, let's say a curfew of 11 p.m. Parents telling their child to come home at 11 p.m. Is that a biblical command? Well, if there's no law of the land that says that a child must be in their parents' house at 11 p.m., it's not a biblical command. It's not an unbiblical command. It's a non-biblical command. It's something the parents have decided in wisdom out of their own best interest for the child to submit to them in that regard. And of course, children are called to honor their father and their mother, even in non-biblical commands. Okay, what about uh, laws of the land? We can all relate to these. The speed limit. Is there a biblical command that tells us precisely the speed that we ought to drive down the Sea to Sky Highway? Can we find a chapter and verse in Scripture that tells us that we must drive 90 kilometers per hour on the Sea to Sky Highway? No. That's a non-biblical command. But you know what? We must obey it as citizens of this land. We must submit ourselves to the non-biblical command of a legitimate authority. And so I think you're beginning to see the answer emerge on this question of ought wives to submit to their husbands in the realm of non-biblical commands. And the answer is yes. The husband is the legitimate authority in the relationship, just like the parents are the legitimate authority in a parent-child relationship, just like the civil magistrates, the the lawmakers of the land are a legitimate authority in a land. And if they're not commanding anything that's unbiblical, but it's in the category of non-biblical, they are a legitimate authority, and we are to submit to it. The same goes, then, in the marriage relationship. The husband is given legitimate authority, and he can enforce non-biblical commands. Now, with that general principle, there, of course, are always cautions that we ought to follow them up with. Uh, Husbands. Now, that doesn't mean that when it comes to the realm of non-biblical commands that you don't consult your wives, uh, especially when they have uh, a strength in a particular area of life or a strength in a particular matter, uh, or even if she doesn't have a strength in, the, in an area. It's always good uh, f- for uh, a multiplicity of counselors to approach a topic. And that's true in the marriage relationship as well. And so this is not saying that wives should never be able to contribute uh, to these areas of non-biblical discussion. Uh, They ought to, and they ought to be listened to, and they can oftentimes bring uh, a much-needed balance, uh, a much-needed insight, or actually know uh, the wisest way in moving forward. And so husbands, listen to your wives as you lead them in this regard. Uh, But also... A caution to wives then. Don't make a non-biblical issue become the occasion for an unbiblical lack of submission. 
There may be times when your husband thinks that the best way to approach a non-biblical issue is the complete opposite of what you would think. And there are times then when you are going to have to submit to the legitimate authority. As long as it's not violating any of God's other moral commands, as long as it's not putting you guys at great risk or danger, but if it's simply something out of preference, but a decision must be made and your husband makes the decision, don't make this non-biblical issue an occasion for you to fall into unbiblical lack of submission. That's the other caution I need to give you. Because your husband, as the text says, as the Word of God says, is the legitimate authority, is the reigning partner in the marriage relationship. And so don't let non-biblical issues become the occasions for unbiblical rebellion. Well, in the end, we see that marriage is not a fight over who gets to wear the pants as the reigning partner. Uh, The scriptures clearly outline for us the roles of authority. And we see uh, that the wives are called to submit uh, to their husbands. And this submission then is not a denigration of women, uh, but it is the dignity and the dignifying of women as women are being drawn into close parallel to the church. Christ, remember, died for the church. Remember, Christ shed his own blood for the church. The church has ultimate dignity. When we talk about earthly entities, and entities that will one day be everlastingly, eternally, in the presence of God forevermore. God values the church that much. And so wives are being placed in parallel with the dignity and the value of the church. We must never overlook that as we hear scriptures teach us the roles and responsibilities of men and women. I want to leave you with a quote from John Bunyan, uh, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. He reminds us, steers us clear from the fact that uh, this submission is not to be a fight over who wears the pants, uh, but rather he reminds us that submission is a fruit of the gospel. Listen to what he says. If the husband does walk towards his wife as becomes him, He will therein be such an ordinance of God to her, besides the relation of a husband, that shall preach to her the care of Christ to his church. And now I say also that the wife, if she walk with her husband as becomes her, she shall preach the obedience of the church to her husband. Wives, when you submit to your own husband's, You are showing that beautiful picture, that gospel fruit of the church's submission to Christ. So don't overlook the fact that when you are called to submit, you are called to exemplify and to demonstrate the very fruit of the gospel, submission and obedience to the Lord. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the divine design that you have planned and given and will stand for all eternity. We thank you for Christ, our head, 
He is the perfect and loving head that husbands are called to mimic and to live in light of. But Lord, we also, as we've read this morning, that wives are to mimic and pattern their lives after the church. That redeemed and sanctified people saved unto submission to a great Savior. And so, Lord, we ask that you would grant the wives in our midst uh, your spirit. Grant them richly of your spirit of submission so that they may preach for us that gospel fruit. That they may show for us that gospel fruit of the church's submission to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.